Well, good morning. So my name is Paul Casey. Uh, I have been at the Vine for a year and a half and been on the leadership team for a little over a year. And I get the privilege of wrapping up 2018 uh, by giving the message today. I love this time of year. And you've probably seen already some of the uh, shows on TV like um, In Memoriam of 2018, all the big stars who passed away this year, or the top YouTube videos for 2018, or the top shows for 2018, or on the radio, the top songs of 2018, whatever genre you like to listen to, they have those. I really enjoy that, the, the recap of the year. And then, uh, so I'm a small business owner, and so I spent a whole day last week in reflection. If you're an extrovert, you're probably like, I could never do that, like be quiet all day, right? But, but I really enjoy, if you're an introvert, you're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And so I just um, reflected with the Lord on uh, personally and professionally how my year went and loved it all day, and then made some goals for next year, and it was super fun to do that. And so as we, uh, we finish up this year with this message today, I've got a somber question for you. And so what if you only had 2019 left to live? What if you only had one more year left to live? You went to your doctor and they said, all right, on December 31st, one year from today or from tomorrow, um, you'd be in heaven. What would you do differently from that? So I... Uh, and speaking of death, like, like comedians have, speaking of death, that sounds really, really awesome, right? Um, I did try to make it a little uh, more with levity. Uh, so look up some interesting tombstone epitaphs, okay? So here we got, it tells a little bit about the person. So here lies Steve and Anya in eternal bliss, MasterCard and Visa, still looking for the payments they missed. Okay, so we know a little bit about these two, okay? They're maybe a big credit card people. All right, here's the next one. Uh, I told you I was sick, okay? This person had to get the last word, even on, their, even on their tombstone. Okay, third one, mom's Christmas cookies recipe is on the tombstone, okay? This gal was probably a really great baker like some of you, and so forevermore in this cemetery, you can get her recipe, all right? Um, I made some good deals and I made some bad ones. I really went in the hole with this one, okay? <laughs> All right, little, little salesperson <laughs> got some, and then finally Merv Griffin. You might have remembered him. I will not be right back after this message. Uh, so, big TV guy, and so uh, told a little bit about the person on their tombstone epitaph. So, I wonder if you have done something that has practically led to a near-death experience in your life. I want you to try to think back to the riskiest thing you've ever done or that happened to you, and it was like, whoa, that was like a really scary experience. Either you, you actually initiated it, or um, it happened to you. And so, I want you to think back of that, because you're going to tell the person next to you in just a second. But I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to think of one of mine on the way over here today. And I was in Zion National Park. Anybody been to Zion National Park near Grand Canyon and Bryce? Yeah. And so a lot of great hikes there. And one of them's called Angel's Landing. And so you climb up and do the regular hike thing. And then you go off and it's like, man, it's like four feet wide. And then it's like a, a thousand foot drop. You know, it's just like crazy on both sides. And there's no guardrails. 
or handrails on either side. And so I start coming over the crest to this point, and I just started hugging the rock. Like, I couldn't handle it. I mean, just looking at that, I mean, I knew I had the athletic ability to walk across this narrow strip because it was four feet long, but I just couldn't do it. I just totally froze. And my friend just goes lickety-split across that. He's like, I'm going to do it again. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going back down. I'll see you at the bottom. So that was one of the riskiest things I did. So I want you to talk to the person next to you. I want you to tell them one of the riskiest things you've ever done. And also, how did you feel at the time that happened? How did you feel at the time you were doing that really risky thing? Okay, go ahead and talk about that just for a sec. All right, I'll bring you back. So I won't ask you what the thing was, because you might be embarrassed about it, but uh, what is the feeling that you had when you were going through that? Okay, somebody, what's the feeling you had? Exhilaration. Probably not going to make it. Fear. What? Regret. (laughs) Okay, yes, interesting to reflect back on that. It was definitely out of your comfort zone, something that you did to share that feeling. I've got, uh, I've got three signs I brought with me today. So if I can get uh, Cheyenne and Julie and Jeremy real quick to come on over here and hold these three signs. So uh, in that whole epitaph kind of uh, thought here. <clears throat> so let's see. Cheyenne's got the... So on one side, so this is like an epitaph on my tombstone. Okay, right now, my, my personal tombstone. So on one side is the year of my birth, 1969. They were actually on the moon when I was born. Like the first lunar landing, July 23rd, they were literally on the moon when I was born, so that's my claim to fame. Um, There's a punctuation mark here, uh, a hyphen or a dash, and then there's a question mark for the uh, the year of my, my, my death. So every birth is a miracle, it's a starting point. Every death is an ending in this life and the beginning of an afterlife in one of two places. And so as you look at uh, these on a tombstone, you might get reflective and ask about that person, like, what did he live for? Um, Whom did she love? What were his passions and his dreams? What were her biggest mistakes and biggest regrets? So I'll take this one back, and Cheyenne, I'll take yours back for a moment here. Thanks for your help. This message is about this. How do you spend your dash? The years between your birth and your death, how are you going to spend that? And especially in this next year, 2019, is it going to be aimlessly drifting or purposefully maximizing your time? Will it be living to please yourself or living to please God? And we here at The Vine, we want to point you to the better of those two options, obviously, because we believe it as the biggest reward to yourself and the entire world with whom you interact. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate that. Our mission here at The Vine is uh, three things, to love God to inspire people, and to build community. To love God, inspire people, and build community. This is why we exist. If we didn't do these three things, why even bother to come here to the vine? Did you know Jesus had a mission statement too? Um, He quotes it in John 10.10. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's his mission statement of why he was here on earth. Jesus wants you to not just survive in your life. He wants you to thrive in your life. Whether you have one year left or 70 years left to live, he has the power to do just that. Starting in 2019 
or re-upping in 2019. You could look at it that way. If you commit to him and tap in to his limitless resources. So my text today is in Psalm 90, verse 12. And David wrote most of the Psalms, but Moses actually wrote this one. And he says in Psalm 90, 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Or said another way, give us the discernment that we lack so that we may know how to please God. Although we don't have control over all the little things that happen in our lives, we do have a choice about how we will overall choose to live our lives. And with this life philosophy comes consequences that will either enrich our lives and our future or deaden our lives or existence on this planet. So really, and I always have to bring my, my trusty whiteboard with me because I was, uh, my first career was being a teacher. So I was a fifth grade teacher, uh, right out of college. I majored in elementary education and then I became a school vice principal and then a principal. I don't do that anymore. A lot of conflict, uh, in, in that job, but, uh, I still always, even though, and so now I teach, uh, in, in companies and I still uh, have that teacher blood in me. So I always have to use my whiteboard. Sorry. So, uh, there's two choices here in your life philosophy. The first one on the left-hand side is you could play it safe, right? In, in 2018, you could choose to play it safe. And play it safe is when you're just sort of on cruise control and you're just sort of coasting through life, just sort of reacting to how things happen to you. Or you can choose to be powerfully intentional with how you live your life. Powerfully intentional. Where you really think about every day and how you can maximize that, how you can live for God and uh, add value to people around you. You could choose to miss opportunities as they come and just sort of let them go by. Miss ops there. So you hesitate, like, no, that's going to be a lot of my comfort zone. I just sort of like to keep it, keep it right here and let it slip by. Or you could choose to be a participant in life. And this is where you say yes more than you say no. Now, not to burn out, not to that kind of uh, ex- extremity there, but, but uh, where you just be a participant in life and you keep saying yes. You seize those opportunities. You could choose to fear death. And the people that fear death, they seem to engineer all risk out of their life. They engineer risk out of their life. And they sort of look at death as this thing to dread. And it sort of worries them even now. Or you could choose to embrace life. And when you embrace life right now, you're living in the moment. You're trying to maximize. You like, when you go on vacation, you actually savor it. When you're out to dinner, you actually savor your food. And you really enjoy the people around you when you're, uh, when you're with them. And then finally, you could just, you could choose to settle for everything. And just like, well, yeah, that's just sort of how it is. So I'm just gonna, eh. this is just, you know, is what it is kind of life. Or you could choose to um, actively pursue life. Actively pursue it. And when you actively pursue life, you are actually saying, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to live this life to the maximum for God, and I'm going to try to get the most out of it that I can. And 2019 can be one side or the other on that chart for each one of us. So if you'd like some suggestions today on how to live your dash meaningfully, you can get lots of advice out there. There are self-help books up the, you know, down the, the bookstore aisles on both sides of the, of the rack. And there are YouTube videos and TED Talks, and there's so much good advice out there nowadays. But the best advice is you must go to the Bible, God's Word, to get those words of wisdom. And then you have to choose 
to live the abundant life that has been laid out to you by God. Now, we can't work on too many things at once. Uh, my mom is in five Bible studies right now. She moved here last year, and uh, so to develop friendships in her um, uh, assisted living home, she joined all these Bible studies. So she's in five Bible. I'm thinking, wow, how could, if you learn something different, you could be in James in one and Psalms in another one, Revelation over here. That would be like really hard for me. My brain would probably start to pop uh, on that to have to work on something on five different Bible studies. But it's a great place for her to be uh, engaged in God's word and uh, to also meet other people. But I don't want to give you too many. I want to give you just three today, three suggestions for you to take action as if you only had one year to live. So the first suggestion I give, number one, is to live more wisely. To live more wisely. And Andy, if you wouldn't mind reading James 3, 13 to 18 out loud for us, that'd be awesome. So the first uh, area, and you sort of grouped in all those, uh, those wisdom principles, is humility. In humility. And I like what one speaker said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. I'll say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, like self-deprecating and, oh, I'm terrible at this and I'm ugly and I'm horrible. And No, it's, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. It's putting the other person in the limelight, not snatching the limelight and having it shine on you. Uh, how often do we, have we been with people, maybe even in our, uh, our Christmas gatherings last week with family, do you, do you know someone, or maybe it's at work, that seems to have a sign above their head that says it's all about me, okay? Can you think of someone in your life, your extended family or at work, that it's just like they have this sign above them, it's all about me. Now, once in a while, we put that sign above our head too, so we got to be honest with ourselves on that. But that really forms the uh, the right column of this this chart that I'll put up here of what we just read in James chapter 3. There's do's and don'ts of how we can live our dash. And on the foolish side or the selfish list column, you see some don'ts. So you heard uh, Andy read in James 3, bitter envy. That's when we're just jealous, like we always want what everybody else has. There's selfish ambition, like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do everything on my own. I'm going to get to the top and step on people on the way up there. There's boasting, people that are bragging about all the things they have or that they've done. And there's denying the truth. And it's a capital T there because the truth is Jesus, thinking that you can do it all on your own. I'm glad we sang today that it's like we don't have sufficiency in ourselves. It's only through Jesus. But on the other hand, on that chart, God says in Psalm 146.8 that he lifts up those who are bowed low. So that leads to the do's on the chart up there. And you see things like living pure, loving peace, being considerate, submitting to others, showing mercy and good fruit, treating people impartially, being sincere. So let me make those even more practical a humble person doesn't twist something that God made pure into something that serves themselves or turns it into something corrupt. A humble person doesn't seek to stir up trouble or bring gasoline to fires already burning in conflict. A humble person is courteous, doesn't interrupt others, lets others go first. A humble person is willing to be under authority, that's what submission really means, or to defer one's rights to another in given situations. A humble person doesn't get revenge, like they're getting what they deserve, but instead they produce actions that want others to emulate. A humble person doesn't play favorites with one's own clique, but seeks to love all others equally and deeply. And a humble person doesn't put on a mask that gives the viewer a different impression of who they really are, but they're authentic without a hidden agenda, and they're not worried about how it might look when they make a decision. 
Now, if you could think of who in your life like is like that, who is very humble, just clearly humble, maybe, again, it's someone in your family or someone at work that um, just really exemplifies those do's there on the left-hand side, or maybe it's someone from afar, like a mentor that you've had in the past, or uh, maybe it's even somebody you see on TV or you read about some character um, who is clearly humble. These are the things that are probably most clearly visible in their life, and it draws you to them, and it draws other people to them. That kind of life really has impact. So staying humble in living wisely and also being open-minded to the truth. Now, we are told all the time in our society, be open-minded, right? I do these values exercises with my coaching clients, and some of them in their top five, out of all the words, they choose open-minded as one of their top five core values. But notice the qualifier in this one. It's open-minded to the truth. I've been watching this um, this Netflix show called AD. I don't know if anybody else has seen that. It's like it starts with the crucifixion of Jesus, and then it says what happened afterward with the with the disciples. Go, you know, episode two is the resurrection, and then it goes through that. So I'd recommend that. Um, there's there's a little bit, you know, they the the Bible is accurate in it, but then they fill in with all these like the drama behind the story in it. So I think it's still uh, worth a watch. But uh, Pilate is in this and. Pilate, when he's questioning Jesus in that first episode, before sentencing to death, says, what is truth? And even in a governmental role, he hadn't landed on it yet. Truth stood right in front of him. Jesus was the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father, no one comes to heaven except through me. That's a pretty clear plan. If you want to lock in your plans as you pass from this life to the next life, it's an inviting Jesus saying to put your full trust in him and what he did to make the way for forgiveness of your sins and my sins. That's the whole reason to be a church, to propagate the truth. We're going to encourage and we're going to care for those who've already found Jesus. That's the in. And we're going to spread the word compassionately about his love to those who have not yet once and for all given their life to Jesus. That's the out. So it's an in and out. So to live wisely and the only way to assure peace about the future, as if you had only one year to live, and we don't really know that, right, is to make Jesus Christ your all in all. And so I'm going to ask you to set a goal today or your life won't change in 2019. And here's one of the three suggestions. I'm going to ask you to please say this uh, potential action item with me uh, out loud. Let's say this together. Make life decisions using God's formula for wisdom. Make life decisions for using God's formula for wisdom. Okay, here's number two. Second, if you want to live successfully as if you only had one year left to live, number two is change your perspective on time as it relates to eternity. It's amazing how life circumstances take on a whole different meaning when you see them through different perspectives or a different paradigm. So for Christmas, one of the things I put in my wife's stocking were these huge playing cards, but they're like four by six. They might even be five by seven. They're huge playing cards. They're, they're supposed to be used like at a pool. They're waterproof cards, so you can play them outside. And uh, when I pulled them out, everybody just was rolling on the floor laughing because it was like, they are so massive. And so one of the first things we wanted to do was play solitaire with them, but we're going to do it as a group because as you look at these cards, it's like, whoa, okay, where's the jack, you know? And and what goes with that? When you have a different perspective on it, it just made it radically different game. And the same is with our life and the thing that happens to us in our lives. 
I believe without changing your thought patterns toward anything, we will default back to the old patterns that keep us stuck. And so uh, let me set this up with three scriptures. Psalm 39, 4 and 5 says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years as, is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. So life is sort of like a New Year's Eve fireworks display that makes a big splash in the sky, and then it's gone. Here's our next one, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christ follower, your driver's license or your passport is just a temporary ID card for the one that's prepared for you in your home country of heaven. And then 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. He starts that verse. Have you ever felt like an outsider somewhere before? or that you've been discriminated against in some way. Most of us have in our lives. I was at a networking uh, event in another city a couple of weeks ago for Christmas, and I only knew three people in the whole room. Everybody else in the room seemed to know each other. I didn't know anybody else in the room. And then I got put, since I was alone, with seven other people that knew each other. They're all realtors, and they all knew each other. And then there was me. And they are yucking it up with one another and having a great time. And they're just like me sitting there. I had to really put on my like uh, extrovert self because I'm not an extrovert and like ask them questions just to feel included in that scenario because I really felt left out like an outsider. Part of why we feel like outsiders here on this planet or we get discriminated against is because we're in a sinful world and we're exiles here on earth, but we're part of a bigger scenario far away. So a few suggestions to upgrade your perspective. Here's the first one. Time is short on this earth, so live with a sense of urgency. Live with a sense of urgency. Many people think we have lots of time to accomplish things for God, for taking that next hill, for having that critical conversation. But I have a picture of smoke up here because that just sort of reminds me that we don't have a lot of time. We might think to ourselves, well, once I get married, or once I have kids, or once I've got cash in the bank, or once I get that dream job, or once the house projects are done, or once the stars are aligned, whatever that is for you, right? We'll get our act together and we'll pursue God and his will with all our hearts. But that perfect once is probably never going to happen because it's not realistic or it's just an excuse for inertia. Okay, uh, there's, a, there's a speaker named Brian Tracy, he talks on time management, and he goes, don't take a vacation for your whole life on someday aisle. Someday I'll do that. Someday I'll do that. Don't go to someday aisle on vacation, okay? We want to actually get those things done now. So, but I think we can agree that our tendency is to gravitate toward that inertia, toward that complacency, toward that, I'm really good right here, thank you very much, okay? But what if there were only 365 more days for you to live? Would you start taking some risks? What's the worst thing that could happen, right? You know, you're gonna, you're gonna be in heaven in, in a year. Uh, maybe some of you have seen that movie, The Bucket List. How many have seen the movie, The Bucket List? Uh, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, yeah, were in that movie. And that's exactly what happened to them. They find out they're dying of cancer and they decide to live it up and do things on their bucket list, which of course is the phrase for things you do before you kick the bucket. And so they decided to live like there was no tomorrow and they're on the pyramids and they're just skydiving and, and doing all this stuff in there. It really upped their sense of urgency when they heard that bad news. 
There's another speaker named Seth Godin that says, poke the box. So when we were kids, like under the Christmas tree, and we open a box, we don't know what it is, the first thing kids do is they start poking it. And then things light up, and jack-in-the-boxes, you know, pop up, and all these things happen with these little things when they're one and two and three years old. They just go in and poke it. But as adults, we, we tend to pull back, like, I don't know, should I touch it? Well, will something bad happen if we do this? And this speaker, Seth, is saying that we need to poke the box more in life. Become more of an initiator. And uh, I think uh, the initiator is probably uh, what we try to do here as a church at the Vine, our vision, which we put up there earlier, which is everyone belonging to a joyful, Jesus-centered community of world changers. Man, if we really go all out in 2019 with that, it's going to be awesome. Uh, we shouldn't let up until we've gone up. It's a good little phrase there. Uh, a second suggestion of this perspective is we are ambassadors so we should represent the home country well. It's likely we live on earth as an ambassador in an embassy. Okay, what's an, what's an embassy? Okay, an embassy, uh, Tony Evans says, is it's a little part of our country a long way from home. I like that definition of embassy. A little part of our country a long way from home. If a country's ambassador partied all the time, treated others disrespectfully, squandered the resources of that country they were placed in, what would the reputation be of their home country? Okay, exactly whatever is visible through that ambassador, right? The stakes are high for us. So like it or not, if you follow Christ, you've got the title of ambassador. We could wear that name tag all day if we wanted. And we've got a job to do. You've probably heard the saying that you may be the only Jesus that other people see. That's pretty powerful uh, to think about. He's the king we represent, so our job is to make him look good by reminding ourselves what our purpose is on this planet. We are part of a heavenly story that is playing out. We're not just living on the rock from the dates from birth to death on our eventual tombstone. And we want to take as many people to heaven with us as possible. A third suggestion in this perspective is to make an affection adjustment because we've got an eternal soul to nurture. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said the destination of your money and your time and your talents is what you love most, what you are ultimately living for. So I put a picture of a checkbook up here. What does your checkbook reveal about your heart's most important affections? I know we barely write checks nowadays, but you get the point. Maybe it's bank account or your debit card uh, receipts. Okay, what does that say about your heart's most important affections? I also put a picture of a calendar uh, up here. What does your calendar reveal about your priorities these days? It's called priority management. I, I talk on time management all the time, but it's really not time management. It's priority management, right? It's, it's where do you put your limited resources? Do you put them towards your priorities first and then add the rest? Or do you put all the rest in and then you put your priorities in whenever there's time? Like I've had people say uh, to me before, well, you know, if there's extra time for Jesus, I'll put them in. You know, if there's extra money in my account, then I'll give you know, give to the church or give to charity. Uh, if there's any time to volunteer left, okay, well then I'll, I'll squeeze that in my schedule last. Or do you put that stuff in first and then what's really cool is God adds the increase. He actually gives you more money when you give to him first. He somehow lets you get all those other things done when you give time to him first. Just test him on that. See if it actually works because I have and it, it really does. It's really the crux of the matter. Um, you've probably heard of the author Leo Tolstoy. Uh, quick trivia question. What did he write? Leo Tolstoy. What do you say? 
Okay, there's, there's a couple. War and Peace is another one that you might have heard, a little ebook. you know, War and Peace. No, it's actually a really thick book. I've never, I've never read it. Yeah, it's a little skinny thing, right? Yeah. Well, well uh, they interviewed uh, uh, Leo Tolstoy. He also wrote a book called The Confession back in 1879. He rejected Christianity as a child, and he married a loving wife. He had, uh, oh, sorry, uh, he went to the university, he left his university seeking pleasure. So he partied it up, he drank heavily, lived promiscuously, gambled frequently when he was in Moscow and St. Petersburg. He re- rejected uh, Christianity during this period of time. His ambition was to become as wealthy and famous as possible. Nothing would satisfy him, though. So in 1862, he married a loving wife. He had 13 children. Wow. He was surrounded by what, ha- what seemed to be complete happiness. Yet one question haunted him to the verge of suicide. Is there any meaning in my life which will not be annihilated by the inevitability of my death, which awaits me? So Nicky Gumbel in Questions of Light ex- explained what triggered Tolstoy's conversion. He searched for the answer in every field of science and philosophy. He looked around his contemporaries. He saw that people were not facing up to the first order questions of life, like, where did I come from? Where am I going? Who am I? What is life all about? Eventually, he found that the peasant people of Russia have been able to answer their questions through their Christian faith. And he came to realize that only in Jesus Christ do we find the answer. A hundred years later, nothing has changed. So Tolstoy finally got it right. He looked at those who had the peace of God to be his teachers of where he needed to place his affections. Uh, Cheyenne, my daughter over here, I won't embarrass you there, honey, but when you were little, you would ask me um, about heaven. And it was a place where, uh, of course, I've never been, although Porter's Barbecue is really close. No, just kidding. <laughs> I love that restaurant. Um, but uh, she would, Cheyenne would ask me, like, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? When she was, like, real little. And I told her what I really believe, that I think our wanter is going to be very different than it is down here on earth. Like, I couldn't really answer the question, because I think it's going to be so different in heaven of what we're going to really want to do than down here on earth. Rick Warren says, we are practicing for eternity now. So let's review. So our, top, our first two suggestions here are to make life decisions using God's formula for wisdom. Let's say our second one together here out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Tweak my thoughts to God's perspective. Okay? Tweak my thoughts to God's perspective. And here's number three, is to apply God's word. To apply God's word. I was thinking today, you know, as I was driving over here, so if there was anything that I wanted everyone to get when they got out of this message today, it really was all about the Bible and how the Bible really is the guidebook for your life for 2019. Not just to listen to, not just to read, which is awesome, but to apply, put it into practice, make it into an action plan. Now, let me back up. Why do we pick the Bible and not all those wonderful uh, TED Talks and self-help books on the, in the bookstores or in the library. Well, let me, let me give you three verses on this. First Peter 1, 24 and 25 says, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. One reason that we choose the Bible over all that other literature is that it will always be around. It's timeless information for successful living. Here's a second reason. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. So another reason is how the Bible can guide us to what lies before us. And then a third reason is a third scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 
says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the third reason is how comprehensive it is for every arena in our lives, whether we're in business, at work, whether we're in our relationships, or our own self-growth, all of it. And these, of course, are the life-changing words of God himself. So how does this play out? I want to make this as, as practical as possible. The first thing is when you hear the message, when you hear the message here at church or in your own Bible reading or maybe uh, in your branches or on the radio, uh, however you hear God's word, discuss it with someone to solidify it and set a written action goal to better put it into practice. For some reason, there is doing power in writing your goals down. In fact, uh, research shows that only 3% of people actually write their goals down. How many of you are in the 3%? You actually write your goals down either at work or in your personal life. Okay, yeah, about 3% uh, raised their hand in here. I used to get that, I was at a conference where they had these 3% t-shirts, like I'm in the 3%. It was a talking point, so people would go, hey, what's with the 3%? Oh, I'm one of those people that writes down their goals. Oh, okay. And then you got in a conversation from that. So there's somewhere there's doing power. It's like as soon as you write them down, you start moving toward them. And there's also retention power in rehearsing information aloud. Jim Rohn says, when a uh, goal gets power when it crosses your lips and pencil tips. A little rhyme, you know, to remember that. So if you really want to, like, play something out in your life, it's great to write it down and speak it, or it'll probably disappear forever. In fact, the sad news for pastors and speakers is if you don't, if your, your audience doesn't do something with your information within 72 hours, it's probably going to be gone. So Micah and I, we can just lament over this and Andy later, you know. <laughs> so unless the audience does something within 72 hours with something, you know, you ask them next week, so what was last week's message about? You're like, uh, <laughs> you know, so that's why it's really good to take notes and, and to write things down. The brain doesn't make any new connections, and so then it discards it as irrelevant. Uh, so the second thing is we can do is when we're faced with a decision, go to the Bible first to shed light on it so, so we can have guidance. So you're going through your life, and you're like, man, I think we should move. You know, or I just don't know if I should stay in this job anymore. Or whatever that is, you know, I don't know this discipline tactic I should use with my child right now. Uh, the great thing to do would be going to the Bible. Now, does it say in the Bible, like, when you have a decision between West Richland and Kennewick, the best decision? No, it doesn't, it doesn't say those kind of things in the Bible, but there's guidance in there. There's principles in God's word. And oftentimes, we decide to try to solve it on our own first. I know I do. Maybe I'm the only one. But we try to solve stuff on our own first, and then we tack on a prayer if we really get stuck. Have you ever said this? Well, all we can do is pray. You ever, ever said that? You know, all we can do now is pray. Because we've tried everything on our own, so now we're going to go to Jesus, you know, last. Well, what if we change that and set it with a little bit more enthusiasm? All we can do is pray. <laughs> Wouldn't that be better? You know, to just sort of lead with that in our lives, because that really honors him. So run to God first. It shows that you recognize his lordship in your life. And I don't know about you, but I, I've gone long enough trying to steer my own life on my own. You know, Jesus, take the wheel, you know, kind of thing, because I found myself in ditches time and time again. A third thing that's very practical is before you read the Bible, pray that the Holy Spirit would point out what needs course correcting with his help. I did this this morning. 
Uh, so when I sat down to read my Bible, which by, by the way is probably the core discipline for a Christian, the core habit that we, that we need to be doing. And that's hard enough to commit to doing, right? Probably, we could probably all nod our head. Like we've all struggled with probably reading the Bible as much as we need to. And that's for many different reasons, uh, in our life. Uh, one reason might be, well, I don't get anything out of it, you know, or I just don't understand the Bible. So I'm saying to be vulnerable and just pray when you pull out your Bible to the Holy Spirit and say, God, give me something from this today. Help me understand something a little bit better than I did before. Or get up in my face about something that I, I need to be uh, adjusting. And you know what? He'll do it. It's a vulnerable prayer to pray. But if you pray that prayer, he's going to show you something like he showed me this morning. Um, I was reading Psalm 139. It said, uh, search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. I'm like, ouch. Anxious thoughts. I don't know if any of you are professional warriors uh, here in the room. Don't raise your hand because we all know who you are. No, just kidding. <laughs> warriors often put out that vibe, you know, they're anxious about something. And that verse is like, all right, I got to stop worrying. I, I don't have control of all that stuff, so I'm not going to worry. And finally, uh, on this one, a practical one is when you start your day, get some daily bread and ask God to let it set your attitude for the day. Jesus said, we can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's the Bible. That's our daily bread. Find a way to get its input into your life. You can do it on your iPhone, your Android, um, through the U version, Y-O-U version. That's what we use here at the Vine. So you can actually follow along um, on your phone uh, while we're here at church. Um, it's a free app that you can download, and you can have whatever version you want You know, in that. You can listen to Christian radio. And you can hear some wonderful verses throughout the day there. You can get e-devotionals on your computer. That's just a little nugget for the day that uh, as you're checking your email in the morning, you can do that first. You can get a Christian book and debrief that with a buddy. Or you can do the old-fashioned way, which is the actual Bible. <laughs> you can actually open the actual Bible up and, and digest it that way. And by the way, if you need a Bible, you're like, you know, I don't even know where my Bible is, Paul, to be honest. It's okay. No, no shame. All right. We'll, we'll find a way. Mike and Sarah and I, we'll find a way to get you a free Bible. Okay. So just come up to us, ask us, and, and we'll find a way to get you one because it's that important to our life. So final review. In order to live out our dash for God's glory as if we had only one year to live. So let's say these three together, adding a third one on there now. Ready? Here we go. Make life decisions using God's formula for wisdom, tweak my thoughts to God's perspective, and read my Bible often with an intent to letting God's word change my life. James 1.25 was something also God showed me this morning, and I thought it's a great way to conclude today. And it says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's the Bible, that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And if we do this as a church in 2019, this new year is going to be amazing. It really is going to be amazing. We're going to have amazing impact in the Tri-Cities and in each other's lives. And again, as Sarah alluded to, next week, don't miss the first week of the year, because Mike is going to share with us our big theme, our goal for 2019 as a church. So drum roll. I mean, I'll, we'll, I'll give you a week to, to stay in anticipation of what that is, but it's sort of our vision for, for the year ahead. So let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day and for the opportunity to come together as a church and to wrap up this year with you. You got us through all the ups and downs of our life this year. We had some low points, 
that were painful. We had some high points that were exhilarating and a whole bunch of regular days in, in between. We thank you, Lord, for being with us the whole way, for guiding us, for protecting us, for, um, for just giving us the wisdom that we need to get through every day. Lord, we're asking for a better year next year, whatever it was, even if it was a great year this year, we're asking for a better year in 2019. Help us to put your word as the central part of our action plan for next year. Give us the mind of Christ so that we can see situations differently and not freak out, not worry, but just go to you first. And we know that you're going to make it a great year. Uh, bless us as we celebrate the end of the year next year or tomorrow night and uh, launch us into the year uh, with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.